Thank you, Matt. And thanks again to everybody who's made a contribution in this, our spring membership drive. We very much appreciate it. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks also for tuning in today to Midday. By the way, coming up tomorrow on our program, a conversation about some of the legislation winding its way through the General Assembly in Annapolis. Delegate Luke Klippinger, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, will join me to talk about the concealed carry legislation that he is sponsoring and two advocates for legislation to require fentanyl testing to meet the challenges of the opioid crisis. We'll talk about a tragedy in their lives that led them to activism on that issue. So that's happening tomorrow. But right now I am joined by Daniel Hatcher. He is a law professor in the University of Baltimore Saul Ewing Civil Advocacy Clinic, and he's the author of a new book called Injustice, Inc., How America's Justice System Commodifies Children and the Poor. Daniel Hatcher joins me here in Studio A. Professor, good to have you. Hello, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So this book is frightening and disconcerting, to say the least. Um, You talk about how the juvenile courts are involved in commodification, prosecutors, probation departments, jails, um, uh, the the foster system. I spoke to um, uh, a woman named Kristen Henning, who wrote a book called The Rage of Innocence, uh, about the justice system, system criminalizing black youth. I also spoke to a wonderful lawyer in Pennsylvania named Dorothy Roberts, who talked about the child welfare system uh, amounting to policing of black families. But you're talking about making money on their backs. Um, Give us a a 30,000-foot view of how this happens. Right. Well, and who you just described were both excellent scholars. And um, unfortunately, what, what I uncover in this book is how that harm is being monetized. So uh, I uncover a variety, numerous ways in which uh, our courts, uh, prosecutors' offices, probation departments, policing agencies, detention facilities, juvenile prisons, and the like are all abdicating their mission, abdicating their ethical responsibilities to commodify those they're supposed to serve, right? You know, our courts, um, they're supposed to exist to pursue Uh, equal and impartial justice. But instead, when they start operating more like a factory business to commodify those they're supposed to serve, uh, immense harm results, and it just keeps reverberating. One of the points you make is that a lot of these courts, um, and you're you're talking basically about the lower-level courts. You're not talking about the Supreme Court or even the federal courts, but you're talking about state and local courts. Um, They use the fees and the penalties that they assess to run their courts, to run their business. So it's almost like there's a built-in incentive for them to charge fees and to, you know, levy penalties because that's their revenue source. I guess in Alabama, is it uh, some 70% of the state courts there are run on the backs of fees that are and penalties that are assessed to litigants? Right. In Alabama, the, the example I discuss in the book, the prosecutor's offices are generating up to 70% of their total budget through this pursuit of court-ordered fines and fees against the poor, and then they're sharing the revenue with the courts. So, so right after sharing the revenue, they still generate up to 70% of their total budget. And that's just one of the examples, again, in which uh, children and the poor are commodified. You know, I've uncovered contracts and with the juvenile courts themselves are actually contracting to generate revenue from child removals, right? Either when the children are removed from their homes or are labeled as foster care candidates at constant risk 
of removal. And then the more they're processed, um, and the more they're kept in the system, the more revenue um, the courts, the prosecutors, and the probation departments can generate. Daniel Hatcher, the book is called Injustice, Inc., How America's Justice System Commodifies Children and the Poor. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you'd like to be in touch and uh, participate in our conversation with Professor Hatcher, our number here at Midday, and it's a different number than you're using to call to make a pledge in our pledge drive, our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org, and to tweet us, it's at Midday. WIPR. So, Professor, um, the only answer to that, I guess, is just simply state funding of the courts, right? I mean, what what is the the option if the if the prosecutors in Alabama say, look, you know, we wouldn't be able to pay our lawyers if we didn't have revenue from these fees? Uh, do states uh, or even the federal government need to step up and say, you know, these should be funded in a different mechanism? Right. Well, certainly one of the concerns is how the revenue is, is being pursued for, for, for the systems, right? So um, there, there needs to be a neutral source of funds, uh, preferably from the state level or at least the county level. But instead, you know, what, what, I've, what I've uncovered in these contracts, and the counties are often collaborating with the courts, using their courts as revenue generators, right? Both through the endless pursuit of fines and fees, through monetizing uh, the juvenile delinquency and foster care systems, right? Through monetizing the child support system, which is supposed to only exist to support children, right? Instead is being monetized towards harmful results, often against the most poor. You can have the the same child, right? You can have a court um, that is generating revenue through a contract from the removal of that child from from their home, from a from a parent who's struggling. Then that same court, under a separate contract, might be generating more revenue by pursuing what it's calling child support, but it's actually money that's pursued to pay back the cost of the foster care that the court just ordered. So the court is making you know, endless potential revenue from these different processes, right? And it, and it's this just mindset shift from service, from serving the most vulnerable among us with equal and impartial justice to using the vulnerable as a source of funds. So, and, and explain to me, because you're the lawyer, I'm not. The courts uh, acting as, first of all, uh, you know, in the, in the, the capacity as the uh, adjudicator, uh, also acting in the capacity as the person or as the entity running the the child custody uh, issue, that in its in and of itself, the fact that they're doing both sides of that issue is unconstitutional. Is that right? Right. You know, so uh, one of the examples I, I discuss in a book out of Ohio is a practice that's happening in multiple states, including uh, Louisiana and, and Illinois and, and and more, where the juvenile courts are actually contracting to become part of the executive branch and take on the foster care agency role, to become the local foster care agency. So what they do through these contracts... Right, so just to make sure folks understand, the executive branch runs the foster care thing. The courts don't run foster care. Foster care is a separate thing. The courts say this child is now in the custody of foster care. That's right. That's People why have it's, to understand that. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? You know, and look, you know, we, we fought a revolutionary war, you know, to, to escape tyranny where, where the concern was centralized power 
in the hands of one entity, in that case, the English crown. And our government was founded upon the separation of powers, right? The crucial independence between the branches, uh, most important being the independence of our judiciary. But here you have the juvenile courts actually contracted to become, contracted to become part of the executive branch to become the local foster care agency. And then they, you know, if they, if they put on their court hat and adjudicate a child delinquent, that allows them to put on the foster care placing agency hat, right? And then the child is uh, potentially removed, potentially even placed in a residential treatment center operated by the courts, right? And then the courts put their court hat back on, rule on themselves and these actions. And if they rule on themselves favorably, they can pull down more federal foster care, what's called 4E revenue. And the more they process them, then the more they can make. They're even making administrative costs from from these children, administrative revenue. They're using the children to fund court overhead from paying salaries to fringe benefits, um, depreciation on courthouse buildings. I saw a training slide where it even talks about that they could potentially claim the administrative costs of the process of claiming administrative costs, right? It almost starts to become a pyramid scheme, like in terms of the potential uh, unendingness of the revenue. Yeah, more to talk about when we take a little break first. Daniel Hatcher, his new book is called Injustice, Inc., How America's Justice System Commodifies Children and the Poor. He'll be speaking about the book at Red Emma's Bookstore tonight at 7 o'clock. And if you've just joined us today here on Midday, my guest is Daniel Hatcher. We're talking about his new book, Injustice, Inc., How America's Justice System Commodifies Children and the Poor. He argues that the institutions of the justice system are too often run like businesses, more intent on making money than providing services and protection for children and others. And, of course, the people who are victims of the system are largely poor and black. Daniel Hatcher joins us in Studio A. You can join us as well, 410 6628780. That's a different number than the one you use to call to make a contribution to WIPR. Our email is midday at WIPR.org and our Twitter handle is at midday WIPR. So, Daniel Hatcher, um, you mentioned these 4E funds. You also talk about uh, uh, allocation of funds called 4D. And there are certain funds that are allowed to be used for certain expenses and others that are disallowed. So, this um, allocation of money uh, towards, you know, the the cost of running a prosecutorial department or something like that is quite purposeful. They're making sure that they're not misusing funds so that the federal government cuts them off of the cuts them off of the pipeline. This is not something that's happening, you know, inadvertently, is it? Right. Well, and they'll often hire help. Um, often through private companies. One of the companies that the uh, multiple courts in multiple states and also sometimes prosecutors' offices, probation departments, sheriffs um, have entered contracts with uh, Justice Benefits, Inc. as expertise to help in that process of seeking out and maximizing the federal funding streams. And, and, yet, and those four E funds, for example, only apply to kids who are poor. That's right. So, so, so you know, the, the kids who are in that socioeconomic demographic, they're the obvious ones that are going to be taken advantage of. That's right, uh, unfortunately, right? Uh, and I've seen contracts that uh, use the language of penetration rate, right? And what the penetration rate is, is uh, literally the percentage of poor kids uh, removed from their home into out-of-home placements compared to non-poor kids. And they'll, they'll seek to increase 
the penetration rate, so the greater percentage of poor kids in out-of-home care. And if they increase that penetration rate under these contracts, they can claim more revenue through this administrative cost process uh, and more. Um, again, you know, I've seen the examples of, of claiming the depreciation of, of court buildings. I've seen, in, you know, in Texas in the contract, I've seen the contract to even allow for the payment of the licensing fees for, for, for the bar and other types of trainings. I mean, just about every cost you can think of, children are funding overhead. And, and we forget, you know, we, we see these numbers, right? You know, number after number, data after data point. Each number is a child, right? And it's, I, I think we need to remember that and we need to do better. Uh, we have a listener, Jay, who says, is this business model, uh, in quotes, for courts a national or a more regional phenomenon? We talked a little bit about this before the break, but this really is at the kind of local level, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a good question, and I would answer both ways, right? Because you know, it is both a, a national problem, but you see different iterations of it based on the locality. So it's a little bit different from state to state, from county to county, but the themes are, are the same, that they're commodifying through these various contractual mechanisms those that they're supposed to serve. You know, even if we just look at the the examples of detention facilities, residential treatment centers, you know, sometimes they're called good sounding things such as a camp, right? You know, like, or even an academy, um, but they're still detaining children, these these facilities. And although the, the iterations, it can vary locality to locality, the, the business model is virtually the same to maximize occupancy, maximize bodies in the beds, minimize cost of care. And that results in, in just immense harm, sometimes deadly. Because that's something that a lot of people think about when they think about commodification in the criminal justice system. They think about these private prisons. You talk about a company called Geo Group, which is, excuse me, one of the largest companies uh, that owns both adult and juvenile correctional facilities. It's traded on the stock exchange, um, and they they have figured out ways of making sure that they're maximizing their profits. But it goes deeper than just, you know, warehousing kids uh, and warehousing adults. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a much broader uh, systemic issue here. Right. You know, that's the unfortunate sometimes the, you know, sort of the ending stages of some of this, or at least some of the most harmful bef before release. But you can see sometimes starting with a small company that's bought up by a larger company, bought up by an even larger company until it's traded on the stock market, generating profit from jailing children, right, and, and adults. Um, and but the concern is not just with these private contractors that, that are that are engaged in the in the in that business model, but often our government actors are, are uh, sort of engaged in as, as sort of a distorted form of capitalism, where they're not just partnering with the private actors; they're becoming like the private actors. They're taking on that mindset of maximizing efficiency and revenue, right, instead of maximizing their mission, which for our justice institutions is supposed to be equal and impartial justice. Our courts aren't supposed to exist to make a profit, right? They're supposed to pursue that, that, that justice ideal. Yeah, you talk about a troubled youth industry, that there's actually, you know, there's, there's a lot of money to be made. Um, we also talk about uh, sheriffs and police uh, as modern-day bounty hunters. There's money to be made for apprehending people, for child support payments, for uh, various reasons. Uh, how does that work? 
right? Well, and sometimes the sheriffs will, will share the revenue that, that they make with the courts, right? So again, it's this collaboration. Um, uh, sheriffs and policing agencies, multiple ways in which they're generating revenue from children and the poor. Um, they can pursue court-ordered um, fines and fees or other court-ordered debts. And, and virtually all the jurisdictions that I looked at across the country, the sheriff's department are claiming a contingency fee, you know, ranging sometimes from 5% up to 10%, right? Um, a literal commission, right? Which is the opposite of what is supposed to be their guidance, right? Which is impartiality, right? These justice officials are, are ethically bound, right, to pursue equal and partial justice. Impartiality is, is required under our Constitution for, for due process. So when they're incentivized by a contingency fee, that's the opposite. And that's just one of the examples. I look at New York, you know, as not in addition to the sheriffs um, generating these commissions, they even use a private, you know, almost like mercenaries of um, bounty hunters um, that, that they call the city marshals. And it dates back um, to colonial times. Um, and they, even though they're called city marshals, they don't work for, they're not employees, right? And they're actually not even paid a salary. All the money that they make is through the various ways that they pursue the poor, from collection fines and fees to utility cutoffs to, to evictions to um, foreclosures to repossessions of cars, you name it, right? And un according to the city's own data, the average net um, you know, revenue for one of these city marshals after costs, right, is $420,000. Per, and then that in turn generates revenue for, for the city. So again, it turns the concept of justice on its head from justice to money. You talk about the solution being in two arenas, ethics and mission. So what has to change in both of those regards to fix this? Right. Well, it's it's a great question, and and it starts with awareness. You know, so I think what uh, what you're doing on the show could not be more crucial, right? Because you know any change has to start with awareness. Um, and then we in the justice systems, right? You know, we're supposed to be guided by um, a mission that we serve, equal and impartial justice, right? And then we have to be ethically true to that mission. So I do believe it starts with us and the justice system, including the, the judicial officials, prosecutors, probation officials, policing officers, attorneys who are officers of the court. Prosecutors are supposed to be ministers of justice, right? They're not supposed to be in competition. Right. So it starts with us. Um, and then if we're not righting our own wrongs, we need more litigation. Right. We need more uh, constitutional claims brought by excellent groups are out there like the Civil Rights Corps, ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center and the like. We need better um, oversight and monitoring, including by state level inspector generals. Right. The federal inspector general's office, our U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division is already done and doing some some excellent monitoring but they need um more capacity to to help shed a light on these practices daniel hatcher his new book is called injustice inc how america's justice system commodifies children and the poor professor hatcher thank you so much for your time i appreciate it thank you tom thanks so much for allowing me. Daniel Hatcher will be speaking about his book tonight at Red Emma's Bookstore Cafe here in Baltimore at 7 o'clock, and we've got information about that event on our website, wypr.org. This is WYPR, WYPR HD1 Baltimore, WYPF Frederick, and WYPO Ocean City.